0: This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting, different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we have another interesting guest here who is going to take us a place where really all of us should go, myself included. I think everybody listening to this program today is going to be interested in Yvonne Talley. She tells us how to break up with busy and how to really get ourselves back on the right track with a book that she's written about exactly how to do it. Yvonne, thank you so much for coming on board. really appreciate it.
1: Good morning. It's my pleasure to be with you.
0: So what's going to happen, folks, is we're going to include this interview, I've talked a little bit with Yvonne to get started. Of course, I have the show notes here, but I know that she's going to really be well-fitting for our mindset page because so many of us are taken up with our lives in terms of we're doing this and that and this and that and the other thing. And what happens is how do we actually regroup to really find a more meaningful, productive path with ourselves with so many interesting distractions and so many opportunities out there for stimulation in different ways, and what Yvonne's going to help us do is how to really find some internal stimulation with ourselves and and where we're going to go. So her book that she's written is Breaking Up with Busy, and let me tell you a little bit about her. She leads meditation and de-stressing programs for corporations, individuals, and private groups in none other than Silicon Valley, so we know she's smart. An NLP master practitioner, and she's going to tell us what NLP is in just a moment. Yvonne co-founded Poised Inc., a Pilates and wellness training studio, and is the founder of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Scarves, a charity that provides headscarves to cancer patients. She lives in Northern California, and her online site is tally.com We'll talk more about that in a moment. As a successful career woman, it was Iman's own struggles with life balance that landed her in the ER and ultimately fueled her curiosity to develop the methods and techniques she offers in her book, Breaking Up With Busy. Throughout the book, she stresses the benefits of living a more sane and balanced life, encompassing everything from longevity, good looks, libido, and self-actualization to include spiritual connections. To get there, she details methodical incremental ways to change habits, transform thinking, and reconnect with your own unique personal sense of play and pleasure. And we're going to do that in a methodical way. So with that, let's go on and take a moment to hear from Tally. It's a deep thing. What happened with that ER transformational experience? What, 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 what went on there?
1: Well, First of all, it was me being so busy teaching others how to live a vibrant and healthy lifestyle. I was growing a business. I was raising my daughter um, that I missed all of my own signs of busy and overscheduled. My fast pace, sleepless nights, crammed schedules, all of that landed me in the hospital emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack when in fact, Chuck, I was having a panic attack brought on by stress. I was embarrassed. I thought, how could an organic eating, mindful, meditating, exercising person have this happen? Here I'm Mm -hmm. teaching my clients how to create their sane and balanced life. And here I am. And it scared me enough that I made several big lifestyle shifts. And one of them, of course, was to adopt an even more mindful approach to my life on a daily basis and slow down. And that's what I did.
0: Well, let me ask you this question. Were you? It sounds like you were really busy. Was, were you actually practicing yoga or doing any meditation before all this happened? Or was the yoga and meditation an outgrowth of this experience?
1: It was definitely an outgrowth. I mean, I've always been what I think a spiritually centered person, which I think is incredibly important for our wellness as a total being. But the meditation, actually the meditation kind of grew out of this interest I've always had. I call myself a brain geek out of this interest that I had about the health of the mind. And when I started studying neuro uh, neurolinguistic as a practitioner, I became even more interested in that and that that really came from this experience. I was fortunate to be raised with a mother who was very open-minded about these things, but never really did it on a on a really comprehensive level. So that definitely came from that experience of of ending up in the hospital.
0: So one of the things we try to do, Yvonne, is make sure that everybody, the listeners, because we do have a global audience, and some of the people are not as conversant with the terms and NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and I don't know that you could say a whole, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a complex situation, but if you could simplify that a little bit so people begin to get an idea of what that is all about, that would be helpful as we move forward.
1: Yes, of course. It's kind of at its root. NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uh, uses a variety of techniques for improving communication and personal growth. Uh, the neuro refers to the neurology and how we process our experiences Via our senses. And the linguistic refers to the language we use to communicate those experiences. And we apply meaning to that information we decipher via our senses to develop our own unique language. We all have it. And the programming is how we communicate that information to ourselves and others to achieve our goals. So the results are strategies for what we want to do and what we want to create. And unfortunately, sometimes what we don't want to create, and what I found is that NLP is even more potent when blended with mindfulness practices, such as meditation and positive visualization. So I blend the NLP approach with both of those.
0: So to just simplify it a little bit more, the NLP programming, the neurolinguistic programming activity, is more of a cognitive process in terms of Here's how you can handle that. Here's how you can handle yourself. And then the meditative guided imagery, part of it is a extremely important foundational support so that you can actually be free to uh, practice these skills of neurolinguistic programming. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I, That. thank you. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, good. Well, that's great. So then the big question that pops up is, okay, tell us about your book. How does one do this how can you break so this it sounds so complex and breaking down the complexity it's kind of intimidating to use new words like neurolinguistic programming even though we've had a number of people talk about meditation here at core brain journal the issue is what is what is the meditation that you use and how do you put all that package together that's a big question in that direction
1: Yes. So I think, again, I'm going to go back to how I've always approached everything. And that is I've always had to kind of peel back the layers and and dissect it to kind of put everything in a compartment so I can move forward. And that's what I did with this book. But when we look at the big problem, I think to to address the, the busy part of this, I think our busy culture is the culmination of economics, technology, and a disconnect from nature. It's a fast pace of continuous comparisons of trying to keep up or outdo with whoever it might be is getting more or less what we perceive as more or less so it's economics technology and disconnection from nature so just a little bit and that's how this got set up in our culture so if I were Mm -hmm. to talk about each one of them the economics of it is you know when economics grow when economies grow and incomes rise time is seen as more valuable and we don't want to waste it so we pack in as much as we can every day and we end up busy And today there's a status attached to being busy. So it's the psychology behind it is it makes us feel more important and valuable. When we see other people in our reference group that we're sharing our life with, when we see it through technology and social media and everybody's planting this image of a busy, fun, fantastic, colorful lifestyle. We want to be part of that. We want to, everybody wants to be part of the group. I mean, all we have to do is go back and think about fifth grade. And we all wanted to be picked first for the baseball team or or the volleyball team. So we all want to be a part of it. We all want to be important. And this idea of busy gets set up from the economic standpoint. At like that. And then the technology behind it, as I said, it's this continuous comparison of seeing what everybody else has and everybody else is doing. And we start to get so distracted by those comparisons and the ability to make things so convenient with technology now and doing more and more and more that we've forgotten. We can do more, but do we want the quality or the quantity in our lives? So we're, we're traveling at such a fast pace that we forget to ask that question because busy becomes that new normal. And just the last thing I want to say about nature, when we disconnect from nature, you know, (laughs) we can have a picture, a live picture on our computer of a fireplace burning brightly. We can simulate a walk through a forest or hike a trail on the treadmill while we're at the gym. And nowadays we don't even have to pick our fruits and vegetables. We can just touch the screen on our computer and order it so we've really disconnected from those important things that nature can provide us sunlight is now dangerous you know it's it's all of these different elements that have come together as you've said that make a very complex situation what do we do you know how do we unwrap all three of those and find a space that we can slow down and get I always say, keep your big picture in mind and don't get stuck in the minutia of all the little stuff. So, how do we do that? Well, one step at a time. My mother used to always say, "How do you eat an elephant?" Not that I ever would, because I love elephants. <laughs> yeah. But she used to always. I mean, she was a single mom raising six kids, so she really had some practical ways of doing things. And she'd always say, "One bite at a time." And and the message here is, we can't change everything all at once. We can't make these big, huge sweeps. What we want to do is look at what we want, look at what is going to bring quality into our lives, and then start to make as simple as a list of what that looks like.
0: Well, you know, some of the things you were mentioning there, I I really hadn't quite thought about it. The way you said it so articulately, I was thinking about the whole economic tech connection thing in terms of stimulation. I mean, really what happens there? How we look, whether we're accepted. I mean, we're all social animals. So the issue is part of it is a socialization in a way gone awry. If you have a friend who has a jet plane and you can fly on it, that puts you in a different category. If you have a terrific dress at the party, that puts you in a different category. And if you're able to do more and it's very, very stimulating. Whereas on the other hand, what you're talking about from the other side of the dichotomy. Is a nature which is not quite so stimulating, but in an odd way reassuring and a little too peaceful. If you really want to be stimulated, I mean, you could say it, one could say, as some have said, nature's boring. I mean, you know, the issue is what's actually going on there. Well, it is a different using neurolinguistic programming language. It is a different language. Nature is a different language. And the tech is one language and nature is a different language I think what you're saying and I'm freely interpreting what you said but is we've really gone away from one language to another we to go over into the tech into the jet into the car into whatever you have language is really an appearance a set of appearances and what's going on with nature is much closer to uh, reality in a way and uh, they are two different languages so- yeah.
1: talk about stimulation, how, you know, technology is stimulating, but nature can sometimes be considered boring and not stimulating. And I look at it quite differently because when I think about what can happen in nature, for example, simply taking a deep breath engages what's called the vagus nerve, which triggers with our nervous system. And it's the longest cranial nerve. It goes from the neck to the abdomen and it, It's widely distributed throughout the body. So what has happened with one deep breath? We have now increased our blood flow. And we know with meditation, we lower our blood pressure, we boost our immune system, we decrease the cortisol. And we increase the dopamine and that improves our focus and concentration. Mm-hmm. So that's stimulated. So what I find really interesting is that it actually stimulates the body, just being in nature, just taking a deep breath in, just turning our face up to the sun. And I think we cannot minimize the importance as human beings that we are all, I believe, all connected. So connecting with nature, I think, fills the soul and the spirit just as much. And I think that's very helpful. wellness.
0: Well, an easy leap therefrom is nature and fellow human beings, because what happens is when you're drawn to the technology, even though you have a friend in California that you're talking to, in a way you don't have the immediacy of a real relationship. One of the things I value about speaking to people like you is we have a, a certain level of intimacy in our conversation here that ordinarily wouldn't take place in everyday life. And there is a connection just in what we're talking about because you and I are singing from the same hymnal on this. And I know a number of people in our audience are very pleased to hear this conversation because just conceptualizing what the nature of the problem is, is a step in the right direction. And then the question is what to do about it, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in just a moment. But that whole thing of being in nature, and I'm at one with you in terms of gardening and being outside. and and the whole you know I'm kind of an outdoor guy living in an indoor world because it's just the nature of what happened in my my career life I mean I'm not a forest ranger like I wanted to be when I was a kid, so and as a result, we do get away from natural activities in that process. I think we also can get quite disconnected from our colleagues. I know some very successful people that I've worked with who are extremely cool, very bright are almost completely disconnected from the group that they're with. And they're doing other things. They're not really involved with the people who have connected themselves and are actually working on the same path with them.
1: Yeah. And we see that a lot. And as you mentioned earlier, Chuck, I live right in the middle of the Silicon Valley. But one of the things you just said reminds me of something, and that is the difference between texting and speaking like we are now. There was a study done about teenage daughters particularly but just in general people we can just say people in general that when we text a message to them i love you i miss you, <coughs> you don't get the charge and the boost of the dopamine and that oxytocin feeling that happens when we speak voice to voice so now if we just step back for a moment and take a look at that what that does for us on just a human level that so much of our communication now is texting rather than voice to voice. It has an impact on not only our wellness, but our ability to communicate. And we see this here in the Valley that they teach the coders that go in and they're in their office all day and they're looking at a small screen. Their world physically is broad and expansive and infinite, so to speak, on what they're exploring. I always say that they're the new trailblazers, these coders. But when we look at the physical aspect of that, it's a very tiny piece of the world that they're in. They're looking at their screen and that becomes the majority of their day. So they lose the ability or I shouldn't say they lose the ability, but it becomes more difficult and less of a natural feeling to look somebody in the eyes and say, hey, how are you? What's going on? You want to grab a bite to eat? It becomes uncomfortable because it's a, it's a mind muscle that's not getting used. So it gets rusty. And as we look at some of the statistics, we check our phones 80 times a day. And millennials are touch- you know, checking their phones 150 times a day. And we're touching those phones, those little six inches, like a little six-inch person in our hand. We're <laughs> touching those phones 2,600 times a day. And that's only going to increase. Mm. So we talk about busy and technology. We spend an average of five hours a day just in that tech world how many hours a day when you ask a person, "Hey, have you been outside today? Oh, no, I didn't get a chance to get outside. So it has become very disconnected.
0: So then you have a protocol and, and this is really what we're all about here at Core Brain Journal is, yeah, we've identified a problem here that everybody in this entire listening group can synchronize with. I mean, there's no reach here. This is, look, we're even doing podcasts. I mean, so many people don't even know what a podcast is. So we're we're over in a tech place. And hopefully what we're doing in communicating, one of the things I really like about podcasts is there is a certain intimacy, like you don't know this about me, but I'm really friends with Alec Baldwin. <laughs> and it's not because I know Alec Baldwin, but because I listen to Here's the Thing out of uh, WNYC.
1: Right, you're connected.
0: Yeah, we're connected. and And I feel because he's been so real on his podcast, I feel like I know Alec in a way that, that I would never of course I period I know that I know him better than I would if I were just watching him on screen because he's very real he's very funny and he's very opinionated so there's a certain reality to that human being Alec Baldwin as there is between you and I right here and a person can then join in that conversation that's why I think it's important for our to be on, us to be on a first name basis because there is a certain intimacy involved with that and then the intimacy is reassuring to a listener as they then try to walk down that path with us. Yes, this is a technology, but it's a certain advanced beneficial form of technology that can take anybody that listens to it in a a different, more productive place in their own lives.
1: Yes, so much so. And I think it's all about balance. You know, you talk about how do we start to make that shift out of this busy pace that we all are experiencing. And it's going to be, I think it has to start, honestly, Chuck, with... really being clear on what we want. So Mm. often I talk about using imagination. So often we use imagination. Well, we use imagination all day long without even being aware of it. And for example, we imagine what someone will say or do, and it's always the what if that, you know, we're constantly chasing our thoughts and creating an entire story using our imagination. So the first thing I like to do with people is get them reconnected with their imagination because When we turn about six or seven, imagination all of a sudden becomes a waste of time or pay attention, quit daydreaming. Those are the messages that we start to get. And so we really push it down and don't use it in a very productive, playful way. One of the first things I teach people or share with people is, let's get in touch with your imagination. Let's imagine what you really desire and want. Mm -hmm. And the first things, Chuck, that I hear is, I can't do that. That's not going to happen. Let's just play. Yeah. use imagination and play. I imagine, and then I use that as a tool and a technique for what I call mindful storytelling. So that's one of the ways that they can start to really kind of get in touch with that playful, imaginative side that is so often squelched down and forgotten on how to use it. And then one of the other things too is just... Mm-hmm teaching people how to define, that would be one of the techniques that we would use to help a person define what is their need-want connection. When we desire something, when we choose that we want something, what do I need to do? Or what do I need to think to be able to get to that want? And just by answering four different questions, they can start to move the needle towards more of what they want. And one of those questions would be, what do I want? And the second one, more importantly, is what will change when I have that? Because so often there's this kind of muted, cloudy sense. Well, you know, I want a better job. And then it's left there. Well, what does that look like? And that's where the imagination comes in. That's where the details start to, to unfold the story. And we know that our mind will create what we focus on. So those would be, you know, when you ask, you know, some of the the protocols or some of the techniques or examples of being able to do this one step at a time, I would definitely say that using your imagination and also defining what it is that your need-want connection is will um, help you get there.
0: Listeners, think about this. Yvonne is telling us something very important that's going to be worthwhile reading her book because this process that she's describing is something we could all use in our daily lives without any effort whatsoever. It just gives us a different format to actually reformat our lives, if you will. Because it was interesting, as you were just talking about it, I was thinking about my own experience as a young psychoanalyst in Philadelphia. And I was thinking how intimate it was to be in a person's mind while they were talking about dreams, fantasies, and the kind of things that we're talking about here. But I think those, even then, had a kind of depersonalized quality Whereas when you're talking with another human being about their wishes, their ambitions in terms of who they see themselves becoming and actually identifying objectives, there's a profound intimacy there that ordinarily remains in each person's own mind, but doesn't come out with another person. I think even in marriages, you could be very darn close to a person, but not know and isn't necessarily... A fault of communication, it may be that that marriage partner doesn't really know what they want to do anyway. But the issue is that's the reason to have the conversation. You grow that intimacy. I mean, I think of the numbers and numbers of people that I've seen who have no idea what they're doing in a marriage and they've been married for 20 years. I mean, they don't know what's going on. They don't know that other person. And they're shocked when something comes up because within that other, that partner's there's a whole mystery of what they think and what they want and where they want to go. And then boom, something happens. And, and it's a big shock, big surprise.
1: Yeah. You make a really good point with that about not knowing the other person. I think a lot of that, you know, I talk about when busy pushes its way into our significant Mm -hmm. relationships, it's pretty darn difficult to have any emotional intimacy when we are continually distracted by the stuff outside of the relationship. So one of the things in relationships I think is so valuable for any of us to recognize is that we can't know that other person until we know ourselves because we are going to plant on top of them all of the things that we feel inadequate about ourselves. Maybe not all, but certainly a lot. And until we get in touch with, what do I want? What do I need to make that happen? And what is going to be different for me when I get there? Until we can start to answer some of those simple questions. And I say simple, but not for everybody. You know, some people have never even posed those questions. And it's about giving ourselves permission to get to know ourselves, to be okay with that. Again, it's this busy, fast-paced life that we grow up in and that we can become a part of. And when we become a part of, we become part of the fuel for that.
0: Well, that's another profound thing, Yvonne. You're just saying one really interesting thing after another here, because if you think about it, and I think that bears repeating, and I'm just going to say it again. I mean, you said it very well, but I think we need to just put the searchlight on that and flash on it really, really intensely for a moment. Because what happens is if we don't know ourselves, we have these internal things that are going on and the partners we seek are solving some problem that we haven't identified in the first place. Maybe this person is better than me in this particular thing. And you were talking about it from a self-esteem that the people wind up selecting from a self-esteem perspective. And then they don't know really who they are, but that's going to be a cure. That person, we see that in uh, dependent relationships all the time. People don't know they're entering into a dependent relationship, but on some level they're thinking they're inadequate and this person here is going to take care of that inadequacy for me.
1: Yeah, and that, that part about that person is better than me now we can back, take a broader view of that and look at what's happening in our culture today with our young people. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a ribbon. We hear it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my mother used to say, she was tough as nails. She used to say, look, start to learn to lose so you can know what it feels like to win. So it is so important that we let our kids, our children, or any of the people that we're influencing in our lives, because I work with many women who do not have children and clients that don't have children that it's about who are you influencing in your lives and who can you set an example for. And certainly if we have a pathway from failing, which I think is, we got to find a different word for that because failure is just part of the process. It's a very important ingredient to becoming fully uh, the people that we, or I think are meant to be. So if we can have that and know that we can get to the other side That's really valuable for any of us. Some of us learn it not until late in life. And I think when we're influencing younger people, that it's our responsibility to not save them, that they know that there's going to be, if you label the person as being better than you, then somebody has to win or lose. It's not better. It's different. So a lot of this, and that's where the NLP comes in, that language. It's very fueled and heavy and people react to certain words in a certain way. And if we just, Kind of slow down enough. That's where that slowing down becomes so important again. To choose maybe a different word, you know. If you listen to somebody how they speak, and they choose certain words, you can, in an authentic, genuine way, communicate with them just by extracting out a couple of the words that you hear them use. And I don't mean to manipulate them in a way of getting them to do something that you want them to. Although that would work too, I guess. But just to be mindful in their pattern of communication. So again, just little tiny shifts that we can do. We, we have to pay attention to do
0: it. Well, I'm going to say one thing. I'm going to ask you a question. So that's the question that I'm going to ask you in just a moment is, can you give us an example of, of selecting a word? I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But I just wanted to bond with you on the, on the whole business. Um, I was out visiting, my wife and I were visiting our grandkids. They happened to be in California and they were they're playing Little League. And uh, you know, one guy's nine, the other guy's six. And they're, they love playing ball out there. And they're playing in idyllic uh, pastures out there. And uh, I mean, green fields out over the ocean, kind of thing. But what's happening is they're playing ball. And one of the team coaches said, Don't worry, there are no outs. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to um, and, and my daughter in law just almost, she almost tore her hair out on that one. She was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Now, and my son and daughter in law are very much stuck strong in what is reality and how are we going to deal with it? And then we had a whole discussion of how can we have our kids in Little League if we don't have an out? And, you know, it's sort of like because they're so precious and so divine, we can't have them disappointed by going and sitting on the bench. Well, the issue is that is definitely part of life. So I thought that was, you know, when you said that, that's immediately what my thought came to mind. So how can you select a word? Can you give us a quick example of that, if you don't mind, that might be useful for our audience to say, hey, here's the way the conversation was going. Here's the word that came up and here's what we did with it.
1: I would say that we could go back to the word that we just used and that's better. If we are always in the mindset of somebody being better, that is going to make somebody worse or not enough. Yeah. 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 So just changing that one word, I think is really important. So true. We can change it to that's interesting, that's different, whatever it is, because that also pauses our mind to start thinking in a different way. So that would be a word. But then there's also a kind of a behavior or belief and action, I guess you could say, And that is this constant judgment that seems to go on. And I think that is stemming from this compare, what I call the comparison game. Mm -hmm. So when we judge, we, as Deepak Chopra says so well, we create turmoil in our brain, in our mind. Somebody has to be wrong, so somebody has to be right. And that further divides us. And I'm guilty of it just as anybody else. So one of the things that I teach my clients to do and that I practice myself is that. This works really well when you're driving and you get cut off because you know what we're going to say, and it's not something we want to, you know. (laughs)
0: It's not going to be a nice word.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I, I just stop myself and say, don't judge him, don't judge that person, Mm -hmm. judge not.
0: Yeah,
1: was really because judging is exhausting. It takes a lot of work to come up with reasons and ways and examples of why somebody isn't. Mm-hmm. Why somebody's different. Or again, it goes back to just pausing and being aware of what's coming, what we're thinking first and what we're saying next. So, yeah, better and judgment, I think, are two.
0: Well, I got to tell you something. You know, I didn't know we were going to come to this part in the conversation because in looking at what you were talking about, I didn't know that we we're how similar we are in so many ways. But I mean, I knew a little bit about uh, neurolinguistic programming and the way you're talking about language is so important. I just want to, and the people who regularly listen to me know that I'm regularly talking about my my buddy, Alfred Korsibsky and Science and Sanity and and a person like you, Yvonne, you're going to love this book because it actually takes this conversation that we're having into the field of the development of science and how scientific reasoning becomes distorted by thinking reductionistically. Mm. And it fits with the whole business of um, Daniel Kahneman thinking fast and slow and uh, reptilian thinking and the lack of considering the, the process and the importance of time relative to the situation that's occurring. So what happens with Korsibsky, his his subtitle, I I never can remember, but it's something like the Science and Sanity, the Non-Aristotelian Insights on Non-Aristotelian Semantics, Insights of Semantics or something like that. It has to do with taking Aristotle, who was thinking more reductionistically, and hooking him up with Heisenberg and, and those folks who were thinking scientifically about the field theory of general semantics. So you'll get a kick out of it. Science and sanity, it's on the front page. The link is on the front page of CoreBrain Journal. You'll get that.
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
0: you get, get a kick out of it. It's just right up your alley. And once you see that, you going to roll your socks up and down.
1: <laughs> well, I, like I said in the beginning, I'm a kind of a brain geek. I just find it absolutely fascinating.
0: Yeah, you'll love that.
1: We're just you know, just now exploring the real deep, you know, in-depth of what we can do, with neuro, as you know, with neuroscience and how it can relate to improving the quality of our everyday lives and just understanding a little bit of it we don't have to be brain wizards but we, we should you know it's part of who we are so if we're gonna if we know we need to eat our fruits and our vegetables and we need to have a balance of carbohydrates and proteins then why wouldn't we take the time to take a look at our brain and our mind and figure out some good nutrition for that and it's yeah. easier than it may sound
0: pretty pretty basic yeah so do you do virtual consults? Do you, can people call you and work with you in outer Alabama?
1: Yes, outer Alabama, outer anyway. I'm right here.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> That's one of the great, you know, I didn't want to bash technology because when we look at the, our society today, it has really offered us some great ways to connect in that we can get the word out, we can unite much more quickly than we ever could before. And being able to counsel people that are out of my immediate area, just like any of us that are in the coaching or wellness or helping others, that's where technology has really made a difference. It allows us to expand and help more
0: people. Well, that's great. So the issue is we got to really, folks, everybody here, listen on the book, Breaking Up With Busy. And I'm going to have that link right there in the show notes, pardon me. And then if you would tell us in winding down here, Yvonne, Once again, if you could tell us the website where they could reach you, it'd be great.
1: Yes, they can reach me at YvonneTalley.com.
0: That's pretty easy, T-A-L-L-Y, Yvonne, Y-V-O-N-N-E. All one word, no dots, YvonneTalley.com. Yvonne, thank you so much. It's been an interesting conversation because you can see evolution as you're talking about it. You can see so many opportunities that are just in everyday life, in your personal relationships, how you deal with your kids, how you think about where you're going in your life. What are you? What's the meaning that you're going to do on the short trip you have on this planet? And where are you going to go with it? It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. And I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Chuck.
0: Thanks for listening to CoreBrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. how to start adhd medications they're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start thanks for listening do connect and stay tuned together we can make a difference